passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. It's John Pollock and Phil Chertok, and welcome to our UFC 257 post-show here at Post Wrestling. Hello, Phil. Hi, John. It's uh, it's great to talk to you. It's been a while. It has been. You and I have had absolutely no interaction since <laughs> October. Uh, I just went. I just went dark. I ghosted all of your texts, but I, I have come back. I'll come back for the big ones, I guess. How how irresponsible of you, John. Uh, but uh, we're glad to have you back. Of course, we were glad to have uh, Eric in uh, place of you for the last couple of shows. Uh, but uh, of course, everyone in the post-MMA community uh, missed you very much. So we're glad to have you back, especially for such a big event. Well, let's talk about this event. I thought going into this one, this felt like a massive pay-per-view, even by Conor McGregor standards. I think that I would say that if you had asked me this afternoon, how well is this going? Is this pay-per-view going to do? I would say I think this one's going to be through the roof. I would say that it's going to uh, beat what Conor and Donald Cerrone did a year ago. And I guess the only hesitancy I would have to this being kind of that massive of a number is what seemed to be an enormous issue on ESPN Plus tonight that it just seemed like they were given just this gigantic stream of people that were trying to buy this show and it was like over an hour into the show and it just seemed like nonstop complaints and whether that's just a small section that flooded my timeline and it's not indicative of the larger picture i mean were you following any of this because it seemed like it was a disaster for those trying to buy on espn plus uh we didn't uh i wasn't following it uh directly there was a member of the post community uh kevin in the discord chat who had mentioned that he was or no i think it was um uh ken uh kendall uh, from uh, Ohio, and he was saying uh, that he was having trouble with ESPN Plus, and he was complaining. But eventually, he got in uh, to the fights, uh, uh, you know, before uh, the main event, which was the big attraction, uh, and and before the co-main event. But nonetheless, a huge frustration. I mean, maybe it's a sign that it was just you know gangbusters numbers. I don't know. I'm sure it like this all happened, I imagine, with people that were buying the show right at 10 Eastern or right before. And I'm sure they were just inundated with orders. Um, I'm sure that was the case, which would indicate enormous demand for the show. But at the same time, you have to wonder, like, did this uh, is this going to affect any like refunds or people that were leaving unsatisfied because it wasn't just, you know, missing the first fight it was for some they were by 11 p.m they were still saying like they couldn't get it so i don't know know how widespread it was you know what it was john it was all of those illegal streamers they couldn't get their illegal streams because dana had shut them down so effectively so they were all rushing to espn plus at the exact same moment 
Well, if if I had to see that joke one more time that was made tonight, because that was everyone's go-to oh. reference, was that <laughs> well, Dana so- <laughs> White went after the wrong streamer. They went after ESPN Plus by mistake. Oh, okay. Well, well sorry to be, you know, predictable, redundant, all that. No, you were not going uh, th- that direction. I, under- I understood what you were saying. But uh, worth noting that tonight tonight was also the night that ESPN Plus was increasing the price of their pay-per-view Whoa. up to $69.99. Well, that's a weird coincidence. Amazing. Yeah. Connor fight. Let's jack up the price. And uh, yeah. people, I'm, I'm sure, left uh, just saying, uh, this is great. <laughs> what an awesome upgrade I got tonight. <laughs> no, they Although do Canada, have- Canada, they did not uh, up the price. We stayed at... Uh, I paid 65 bucks for this show tonight. Oh, okay. Well, the, the, I mean, they don't, uh, I guess they still partner with the, the pay-per-view companies here, right? Um, they get so, to, yeah. I mean, the pay-per-view yeah, providers so. can price it however they'd like. That was an ESPN Plus decision to increase yeah. it. But uh, interesting to see that at least uh, Rogers here in Canada did not follow suit. But, you know, going back to last year's card, uh, Phil, uh, Cerrone and McGregor did about 1.3 million buys. And I think since that time, over the since the beginning of the year to the end of the year, ESPN Plus increased by almost four million subscribers throughout the year. So, number one, do you see it eclipsing that one point three million figure? And what do you think is the ceiling for for tonight's fight? Throwing out all the potential technical issues that they would have had, like just a, a pure okay. number of orders that you think they, they would fit tonight. Okay, so. I do think it's a bigger event for a bunch of reasons. First of all, just the uh, main attraction of Connor versus Poirier is a bigger fight. Poirier is a former uh, interim champion. He challenged Habib in a massive pay-per-view event. Donald Cerrone was never uh, as much of a star as uh, Poirier is. And of course, he has that history with Connor. As well, as you mentioned, uh, ESPN Plus has grown so much in the last year. Part of that is because of the launch of Disney Plus and the bundling of those services together. So you have more people who have access to uh, these events. Uh, part of it is this pandemic sort of pay-per-view UFC culture that has built up as well. I mean, they're they're overperforming during this time. So all of those things coming together, the time off for Connor was leading to a massive pay-per-view. Um, Dana came out, said it was trending uh, huge. It was doing, it was going to do at least 1.5 is what he said, which makes me think it's you know, probably around 2 million buys. And if you ask me the upper limit, 2.2 maybe. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that would be an, an enormous figure if they would hit 2 million for this fight. I, I, I certainly see it eclipsing like 1.5, 1.6. Like this, I, I felt like this, this felt like a big fight and, and you might be right. Like I, I don't know what the ceiling is when a big Connor fight hits in such a way. And I wouldn't say this is the biggest fight you could do with Connor, but Certainly to uh, compare to last year, I think this was significantly bigger than Donald Cerrone last year. And so is ESPN Plus. It's just servicing that many more people. Absolutely. Or maybe not tonight. We'll we'll, we'll find out. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) The good and the bad of of that. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, UFC 257 tonight from Abu Dhabi, their third show in a week's time. Uh, did, did, were you uh, tuning in? Did you have it on split screen Wednesday morning, the inauguration and UFC fights on a Wednesday morning? You know, I didn't have the inauguration on at the time. I did have the UFC and it wasn't I, I, I kind of had like tuned out a lot of the politics stuff after the election had been sort of decided. 
uh, just because it was such a roller coaster leading up to the election. And uh, so I wasn't really competing for eyeballs. I mean, I checked it out afterwards, uh, uh, of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I was watching the UFC at that time. It was it was fun. It was it was a pretty good card. It was fun to have it. It was unusual. I mean, I wouldn't recommend them doing it all the time. Doesn't seem like a good uh, idea for business. But uh, it was a fun card. So the main event, Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. That's where we're going to start. It was a. Uh an electric atmosphere as these two were coming out. What did you think about the inclusion of drones inside the arena tonight? Uh, I, it wasn't impressive. <laughs> it was not impressive. There's a way, like we were talking about, like the UFC included these 3d graphics in the, in the uh, intros as well. And they all looked like really like amateur hour. And it just, like UFC does so much really well, but it feels like their television production just improves at a snail's pace. It's very place. static. Like they yeah. they don't they don't go kind of especially if you're coming from a you know a background of you watched all of those Pride cards or even the K1 events, even even like the Ryzen cards on like New Year's Eve, like the the difference of production. Like Dana has never been that one that wants to present the big over the top um in in-house experience that you may get at um you know a, a major like hearkening back to, to the pride days like that kind of production was mm-hmm. not something that dana has leaned on and we kind of see them like sprinkle in these experiments from time to time but it's certainly not what the ufc hangs its hat on on these pay-per-views it's you know what a, a pay-per-view tonight if you were to watch tonight's pay-per-view and go back 10 years there's probably not like a gigantic difference uh, of the presentation beyond some upgrades of just basic technology over the past decade. I, I, I totally agree. And I have to think that Dana has a massive hand in that because it, it, he, you know, he still approves all of the intro videos for packages for the show. And like, you know, he, he kept face the pain around for as long as possible because it was a dropkick Murphy's. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and still, uh, Bob O'Reilly. It's, it's, it, you know, like there's some, he believes in a certain formula. And, and that produces results. And, and to a large degree, he's right. But I think he could uh, loosen the strings on some of these things, you know? So uh, that's that's the whole backdrop. Uh, the drones, the graphics <laughs> for Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor. Over six years since their last fight at UFC 178. Uh, completely different time for both of these men's careers when they fought at featherweight. And Conor McGregor finished him off in the first round of that fight, which was not even the main event of that pay-per-view. Uh, but this time around, much different set of circumstances, and the fight began. Uh, I was surprised by this. It was, if you were going to lay out um, a game plan for Dustin Poirier, it made perfect sense. But I was very surprised he went for a takedown as early as he did. And I think it surprised McGregor that, yes, it's in Dustin's best, uh, strategy to to try and t- uh, you know throw in a takedown early. Were you surprised that? we saw the wrestling of Dustin Poirier immediately. This was in about a minute into the fight. It didn't surprise me because I thought that a path to victory for Poirier would be to win in later rounds. 
um, wear Connor out and uh, then, you know, take over in the championship rounds. This is something that Poirier has done throughout his career against uh, several opponents. And so I thought he was going to lean on that. And so going to the wrestling, leaning on Connor a little bit, even though that's not his bread and butter, um, you know, he just didn't want to be standing in front of Connor early eating that power. So it didn't surprise me so much that he went to the wrestling, but it did surprise me uh, at how good uh, of a takedown he was able to secure. Uh, Connor did get up, but uh, but uh, I, I, w- I was pretty impressed with the wrestling. McGregor was able to get up to his feet. Poirier couldn't really do much with the takedown, but it was a statement nonetheless. And he gets up, and then we saw Connor start to introduce his shoulder strikes, and Dustin was responding with his own. Uh, he got reversed on the fence by Connor, more shoulder strikes, and they're getting very animated, uh, just going back and forth, talking to one another. And then Connor landed with a left hand in the center and rocked Poirier with this right hand. And Poirier starts firing back, and we start to see his calf kicks, and that's when the round ends. I thought this went pretty much according – if you were going to lay out how this first round was going to go, I wasn't expecting the takedown, but Connor was starting to get very precise with his strikes, and I thought this was a strong round for Connor McGregor, and I thought that this was going to be the tide of the fight. I was significantly wrong by the second round, but in the first, you had to be pretty confident in Connor McGregor that – I mean, he landed a really significant right hand on, on, on Dustin Poirier. And I was just thinking, man, there's not, I don't care how much uh, Dustin Poirier could eat against Dan Hooker. There are only so many of those Dustin can digest. Yeah, the the shots were super clean and they were clearly having an effect on uh, Dustin. Uh, there was a moment, a couple moments towards the end of the first round, though, when Connor threw uh, his lead uppercut, uh, his right uppercut. And uh, uh, Dustin countered with two hooks on both instances. And you could tell that that was something that they scouted. And then even after that, Connor threw his left hand and uh, Dustin slipped it really nicely. So even by the end of the first round, even though I definitely gave it to Connor and, and he was in control of most of it, you could see little bits of progress for Poirier. It was almost as though Dustin knew he was going to eat some of those strikes, especially early in the fight, and that they like he did not panic, and he seemed to have a game plan and kind of just up the intensity. And a, a credit to the the commentary team tonight, which was uh, John Anik, Daniel Cormier, and Paul Felder. Like they they zeroed in on those cap kicks instantly that Connor was not checking, and they proved to be very significant by the second round because that's how the round begins where McGregor is not checking these kicks, and you can see his leg has been damaged. And this is at a point where I would say Poirier had landed about 11 of them, but they had been very significant. And again, McGregor was not checking them. And Poirier was also getting very much in Connor's face. Like when he was succeeding, he was almost like lending from – Nate Diaz's playbook of like really giving it to Connor and Poirier just starts going from the leg. And then suddenly he's throwing his hands and there is a right hand that continues to land on Connor. And he is just like a sitting duck here against the cage because Poirier is landing clean strikes. And there is one shot that you can see is the difference maker where McGregor is stunned and he get he gets rocked with another shot that sends him down by the fence and he's finished with strikes at 232 of the second round. Dustin Poirier, your winner by TKO. 
Yeah, I, uh, incredible performance by Poirier. Uh, very surprising to a lot of people. The odds makers, surprising to myself, um, and surprising not because I didn't think that Poirier had a way to win, but not the way that I would envision that he would get the win. Uh, yeah, the calf kick. Connor just did not respect it. And then he paid for it. Um, it. It was kind of funny. You saw a shot like that in the co-main event that uh, sort of wobbled Michael Chandler, who had a history of taking that calf kick. And it was, it's always, you know, the the broadcast actually opened up with Cormier saying, you know, guys, fans at home, we know you're tired of hearing about us talk about the importance of this calf kick, but until people start checking it, it's going to be, you know, a big deal. So, you know, even poor, uh, Cormier was foreshadowing what was to happen later in the night. Um, yeah, it looked like he didn't respect it. And then one of those shots really numbed it and he couldn't stand on it, couldn't fire back, couldn't defend and it was over. It was uh, an incredible win for Dustin Poirier. He withstood the storm in the first round. And it, like, if you're looking at the, the how important these two lightweight fights were to start the year off for the UFC, I mean, this this definitely throws a big wrench into your plans because, I mean, Dustin Poirier was one that, yes, you could see a path for victory, I to, to victory in this fight. But I was like you. I thought if that was going to happen, it was going to be McGregor just – uh, expending too much energy in the first two or three rounds and being a sitting duck for him in those championship rounds. But this was uh, an elite performance from Dustin Poirier. And you have to imagine that this guy will be fighting for that lightweight championship next, uh, depending on where things fall in this lightweight division. It's still mm-hmm. uh, a, a case of kind of musical chairs with this lightweight division, but it's, Probably not the scenario everyone imagined tonight that it would be Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler as the two that would be standing tall, both like sizable, well, at least for Poirier, a sizable underdog going into the fight on Saturday. Yeah, uh, you know, in some ways, if you're, you, you could think, oh, for Dana, this is a disaster, right? Now there's no Connor versus Habib fight, but Connor's still going to make money. He still wants to fight. And uh, now Poirier is a, a big star, and his next fight is going to draw a lot more attention than any of his uh, previous fights other than the Habib one. So uh, I, I think but what, it's. But what is that fight with Connor McGregor that you followed this with? That what, is going to entice Connor as well. I think Connor isn't enticed by competition. Like he's willing to fight Diego Sanchez. That fight doesn't make any sense, but he, in his mind, it makes sense because it's Tuesday or whatever. So I, I think for Connor, it's not going to be so hard to motivate him. The problem with Connor is every Connor fight is such a big deal. You need so much pre hype and promotion for it i bet he would love to take a short notice fight in some ways you know avoid a lot of the hoopla surrounding the big event and just focus on fighting i mean that's unlikely of course but i could uh, the, the fight i like the idea of paul felder it's a good style matchup you know irish dragon versus you know the irishman i i think uh that would be really exciting for the fans and uh why not I think it depends. It like if it's the Conor McGregor that has been talking in the lead up to this fight that I want to stay busy and I just want to just fight the the best guys here. I mean that that's one thing. Uh, the idea of Conor going from 
uh, you know, a, a main event level fight and looking at the hopes of fighting Nurmagomedov again. And then suddenly you're looking at a Paul Felder or a Charles Oliveira or a Dan Hooker. Um, there's still the part of me that I look at this guy in Conor McGregor and how attractive that Manny Pacquiao fight is to him because mm. of the the amount that's on the table and the spectacle that that fight will bring versus fighting a Charles Oliveira, for instance. I I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe he's going to just jump right back into things. But with Connor, I, I don't think you can ever just sit back and predict what is the most likely outcome because he'll he'll throw you a curveball. And how is he going to react to this loss where he is he is out of that lightweight title picture that he came back for? So I agree with you. A lot of people are talking about him doing the Manny Pacquiao fight this year. I'm like, look, he's more likely to do the Manny fight if he loses this fight than anything because it, it's you know it cre- takes the luster off of any big mma fights but it also takes the luster off of a potential manny fight too like like he can't he can't beat a top mma guy in a striking match so now he's gonna go into boxing and beat one of the all-time greats so who's gonna pay for that so like i'm sure somebody will pay him for that but i'm not sure that there's gonna be a big audience for that uh event uh, not like it well, won't be Floyd level, but Phil, it would be big. It would I don't be think big. it would be big. I don't think it would be as big as anything he does in MMA. The UFC marketing machine can do better than a Manny Pacquiao fight, in my opinion. You, you think Connor and Paul Felder would outdo him and Manny Pacquiao? Connor and Donald Cerrone did 1.3 million, and I don't think that Connor and Manny Pacquiao does as much as that. I. I, I would 100% believe that a Manny Pacquiao fight with Connor would easily top 2 million buys. What's the last Manny Pacquiao fight that drew anything to anybody? Nobody, like, he he's, is, he's, an, he's an international star. It would draw big ratings all across the world. I'm not saying people wouldn't watch it. I just don't see it being a big 60 or $70 pay-per-view attraction in North America. Not massive, like... Not as massive as a Connor at UFC fight. That's my opinion. I could be wrong. I mean, it, it's, uh, it wouldn't be the first time. The other side of the equation is uh, Dustin Poirier. And if we, if we throw Nurmagomedov out of, the, out of the mix, is this as... Like, it's an interesting picture you have because like Charles Oliveira is kind of in waiting. And then you have Michael Chandler, who had an incredible performance that we'll get to next. But I think... The constant is Dustin Poirier fighting for this championship next. It's just a question of yeah. who that is. Yeah. Um, I think I, I think it should be Charles Oliveira. I mean, I do yes. Too. You know, I mean, Dan Hooker is a great fighter, um, but, you know, he did lose to Poirier. So, you know, this, this win over Chandler coming in, getting this win, it's a big win. It was a big statement, but it is just one win. Um, you know, it's a really exciting win on a massive card. So it wouldn't surprise me to see the UFC vault him in there. It kind of makes sense to put the two guys who are on the same card in the next main event. Um, but Charles Oliveira, he's really earned a title shot. He's done so much, you know, not just his win streak, but the fact that he's the all time submission leader. There's a lot going for him. I really like Poirier and Oliveira, and I would even, you know, aim for either in that proximity or even on that same card that you do Chandler and Justin Gaethje, and you have you have your lightweight picture set 
And then in the background, you do have Conor McGregor if he's going to do something. Like, listen, Conor McGregor is going to have the shortest path of anybody. He gets one win, he will be thrust right into whatever the title picture is. It's ultimately going to come down to his willingness uh, to fight and, and, and when and who. But in terms of the non-Conor options, like, I really like those, those pairings coming out of tonight. Yeah, it's really exciting. Like it, it, the it, it is a good thing that Michael Chandler came into the UFC and made a statement. I mean, what a statement! I mean, we we haven't really talked about that fight yet, and we're we're about to. But uh, you know, so often we've been disappointed by people's uh, first time in the UFC, and it was really refreshing to see somebody so prepared for that moment. Yeah. So Ch- Chandler and Dan Hooker was a second from the top here, and. The fight began and Chandler was just stalking Hooker. And then he threw these like front kicks right at Hooker. And Hooker's circling away and Chandler's peppering the body. And then it's a left hook that drops Hooker um, after he takes a right to the body. And Hooker's down and Chandler just pounces on top of him. Uh, You'd think that he's going to go for a guillotine, but instead he just goes back to the striking and finishes Dan Hooker at two minutes, 30 seconds of the first round. You couldn't ask for a greater debut to just be a spectacular introduction of Michael Chandler, who was introduced as the former Bellator lightweight champion during Bruce Buffer's introduction. Bjorn Rebney can die in peace. He's finally made it. Chandler (laughs) sent, sent by, by Rebney. I was waiting for a Mexico tweet from, uh, from (laughs) Bjorn tonight, but it did not happen. But uh, Chandler has gone on the mic Cut a promo on McGregor, Poirier, Nurmagomedov. Just uh, went did he really? Whole... He didn't really cut a promo on Nurmagomedov. He cut a promo on all those other people. He kind of said, "I'm gonna beat Connor. I'll beat Poirier. Habib, you come back. You can beat me because you're the best. But I still want to fight you." That was sort of the tone of the thing. But well, you'll uh... beat me if you can. <laughs> so, I mean, he, this guy was just laying out his. He's like, "Listen, I'm 34." I got to get these fights in quick. So everybody, I'm down. Uh, Two minutes and 30 seconds. I can come back in two months. So this was a spectacular uh, debut for him. And I would say that, yes, there was a lot riding for McGregor and Poirier and Hooker. But to me, Michael Chandler at 34 years old, and that was a concerning number, he comes in and loses. We just listed off how deep this lightweight mix is at the top. He falls behind all of those guys with a loss. And conversely, a win, he's up in that mix. Um, it, it would not shock me like if, if negotiations with Oliveira hit some kind of snag and they need an, a different option to go, Chandler could be fighting for the title next. That's not out of the realm of possibility. So this win was massive for, for Michael Chandler. If you ask me who's more likely, Oliveira or Chandler, I think Chandler's more likely because of this exposure. Like Oliveira... Uh, had that uh, win over Tony Ferguson, but that was on a pay-per-view that didn't draw nearly as much as this. Uh, you know, and, and just the whole the style of the victory, the flip afterwards, the post. You know, I I I, I jokingly, facetiously mocked the post-fight interview, but it, it was great. Like it, it was so much enthusiasm, and uh, I think people are going to want to see him again. So uh, if they do, I. I, I I, I'm leaning that they're going to do Chandler over Oliveira. I would like to see the Oliveira fight, but uh, I'm with you. Like Chandler, they could do that. And a Poirier-Chandler fight, absolutely no one is going to be upset with that option if they go that way. Except yeah. for Charles Oliveira. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so th- this was fantastic for him. So comes in uh, Dan Hooker, a tough loss for him uh, after you know the loss to Dustin Poirier last June. So that's going to take him several steps back in this lightweight division. Yeah, uh, Dan Hooker, very tough loss. Uh, you know, he's such an exciting fighter. His losses up to this point, even though he did get finished uh, before, they were competitive fights for a while. This one, he, he got starched pretty quickly. So, um, you know, maybe take some time off uh, back to the drawing board. And there, there's still lots of exciting fights for him. And, and I think there's still opportunity for him to uh, get back uh, to the top of the division. Um you know, in terms of uh, 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 options out there, I mean, maybe Conor McGregor's a, a good option, uh, right? I mean, it seems like he probably can't turn it around as quickly as Conor, though. Jessica I versus Joanne Calderwood at 125 pounds. They went uh, three rounds, and they were talking about how these two do not get along with one another. Joanne Calderwood looks at Jessica I as a schoolyard bully. Well, the bully... Dropped the decision here to join Calderwood. Uh, the story of this fight was, you know, Jessica I was trying to clinch with her, but couldn't ha- find much success with it. And it was Joanne Calderwood uh, fighting at distance and just attacking her from the outside. Uh, the first round was relatively close. And the second round, uh, this was more so Calderwood's round. She hit a front kick to the face and I's face was starting to swell. And then, clinches for our knees from the clinch and just on any breaks landing these kicks and then just guy got a takedown in the final minute but didn't do much with it and the third round it was i just going for the clinch again against the fence until keith peterson separated them and then calderwood went back to her strategy attacking her and had i i thought a strong second half of that last round i had her winning each round and the judges had it 30 27 twice 29 28 joanne calderwood victorious yeah, a pretty exciting fight. More exciting than uh, a lot of us anticipated. Very busy, active. Uh, I did give Jessica I the first round. She had a couple of flurries to the body that I thought uh, seemed uh, pretty effective. Turns out uh, they didn't do too much. Calderwood kept an amazing pace throughout the fight. Had a lot of variety to her attacks. Elbows, knees, in the clinch. She was really good at defending her position. Uh, she was great on the outside. She was really good at... Uh, Landing strikes on the break, as the commentators noted multiple times. Uh, pretty fun fight, but uh, tough division and tough to see uh, either, uh, you know, tough to see Joanna as a title challenger, even though she's been in that place before and missed that opportunity. Um, it's, it's just really hard to see anybody challenging uh, Valentina. No, it's not the kind of performance that you're watching and saying, wow, Joanne Calderwood could really give Valentina Shevchenko a run for her money. I, you know, she, she was next in line for the title fight. They brought this up during the fight, but then had that, she decided to take the fight with Jennifer Maya and Maya got the upset and got the title fight as a result from that. So when Shevchenko's ready to fight again, like your options, I guess Calderwood, this win at least gets her back into that conversation. Uh, you have Jessica Andrade now. Uh, in the weight class and Lauren Murphy, who's won her last four, those are some of your options. But I like none none of those challengers to me like jump out as you know great opposition for Valentina Shevchenko. It's just whoever Shevchenko is going to fight next. 
Yeah, I mean, of all of them, I guess if you're the UFC, Andrade is the one who has, you know, sort of like a history. Um, but uh, Lauren Murphy does have a win streak. She's put together. She's shown, um, you know, some significant improvements. Uh, so she kind of deserves it in a lot of ways. So, you know, I'm all for people who deserve it getting it, even if, you know, the likelihood of success is slim. That'll be the next pay-per-view. Shevchenko like, versus Calderwood. You know, that'll be the tagline. Uh, Andrew Sanchez versus Mahmoud Muradov. This was at 185 pounds. Uh, Muradov, uh, who ended up getting a performance of the night bonus for this. Um, you know, it was a decent fight from Andrew Sanchez, but I think he just got overwhelmed at times from the striking of uh, Muradov. He was... Uh, throwing these big overhand rights early on uh, into the second. Sanchez was starting to get uh, a bit of a better game plan together, was getting his timing, but it was a very strong end to the round uh, for Murodov, and they continued into the third. Sanchez landed, but then got rocked with a right hand and then ate a flying knee and this huge flurry, and Mahmoud Murodov finished him at 259 of the third round. So a decisive win for uh Muradov here, who is a two and zero in the UFC, now improves to three and zero after wins against uh, Trevor Smith and Alessio DeCherico. Yeah, not not a deep list of names that uh, fans would recognize, um, but uh, Muradov definitely has skills. Despite that, and you could see that in this fight, you know, he took over with a variety of attacks. He was able to mix things up a lot. He kind of went away from some of the things that were working early, but went back to them towards the end and ultimately got uh, the finish. Uh, I was pretty impressed with him. I, I thought he looked really polished. He did. He looked very good in this fight and had a strong end to the fight uh, at the end. I think really punctuated it rather than just riding out the decision. So very good striking from him. And Andrew Sanchez is not uh, a pushover either. So decent fight. And this was originally going to be on the early prelims. And then when the card shuffling occurred, they ended up on the pay-per-view, which uh, doesn't sound like a big difference. But in Abu Dhabi, these guys would have been fighting at like between 5 and 6 in the morning local time. And instead, they got to fight on the pay-per-view, which to me is a bit of a of a gain if you're fighting at, say, uh, 9 a.m. instead of 5.30 a.m. Uh, I Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, I would just say just being on the pay-per-view portion, having the opportunity to say, I'm on the same pay-per-view as Conor McGregor, you know, that's, you know, a lot more eyeballs that are going to see you than when you're on the uh, fight pass prelims or whatever. I, I don't know if they processed any orders by this fight, though. So <laughs> yeah, maybe no that's, to, we the, might fair, have been the only ones. Fair enough. This may be breaking news to every American <laughs> listener we have. <laughs> uh, and the pay-per-view opened up. Guaranteed no one saw this one if it was the opener on the pay-per-view. Uh, Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Hibas. And this was an interesting fight on paper coming in. In, on, in the strawweight division, uh, Hebos had been 4-0 in the UFC since coming in and had that big performance against Paige Van Zant, where uh, that was Paige Van Zant's uh, severance package uh, mm-hmm. for her. The final fight on her contract was sending her to the Wolves. That was Amanda Hebos uh, at UFC 251. Uh, Marina Rodriguez, on the other hand, she has been, if you look at, at her record, she has fought, <laughs> let me just pull up some of the, fights that she has had since coming into the UFC okay so she comes in uh to this division right off the bat she gets Randa Marcos 
followed by Jessica Aguilar, Tisha Torres, Cynthia Calvillo, and Carla Esparza before Amanda Hebos. Like, that is just an insane level of talent that you're fighting. Like, there are no gimmies that this woman got. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'll be first to say I was uh, writing her off in this fight. I did not have the confidence. I underestimated her, too. I thought Hebos was going to have very little problems with her. I was completely wrong. Well, I, I, I knew she was a good striker and was probably better, but I was convinced, clearly, falsely, that Hebus, like that she had no ground game and Hebus was just going to have her way with her. And it kind of looked a little bit like it was going to go that way. But in, in the first round, uh, when Hebus did get her on uh, her back, Rodriguez was still able to control her uh, position and posture and didn't take any damage and nothing really came of it. So uh, her, her grappling was better than I anticipated. And then in the second round, no need for any grappling. She, she just cemented uh, the win emphatically. No, that was it. Like, Hebos won the first round. She got the body lock takedown and kind of rode in her guard for that round. And then in the second, uh, it was a very bizarre finish because uh, Rodriguez stunned Hebos on her feet and continued with strikes. And it looked like Herb Dean was about to stop it. And he stepped in, but he never put his hands on them to summon that the fight was over. But Rodriguez assumed it was over. So she's walking away. And there was this moment of confusion that the fight was still going on. And both fighters had to realize this. Uh, And to the credit of Rodriguez, she wasn't thrown by this. She just picked up where she left off and drilled Hebos with a right elbow and connected with two big right hands. And Hebos was done on her feet. And it came at 54 seconds of the second round. Uh, Marina Rodriguez uh, improves in the UFC. Uh, A very significant win for her in the UFC strawweight division. Yeah, uh, a massive win over somebody that the UFC had obviously invested a lot in and on a massive card and in a exciting fashion. So I think uh, people are going to be really uh, eager to see Rodriguez get back in there in a high-profile fight. And we'll quickly go through the the undercard fights, at least the televised undercard uh, fights. Oh, uh, will it? We should, John, because we do have quite a few people waiting in in the chat to call in and and talk about. Uh, I'm sure they want to talk about Nick Lenz. So, uh, we'll, you, uh, you know what? Let's let's open it up to to calls first, and then we'll, okay. we'll go through the undercard at the end. All right. I sure, imagine most people sure. want to talk about the main card. Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, but, but you're I, free to chat about Armand Sarukian as well, if you, if you care to. You're all right, welcome all to right. chat about any of the fights we haven't talked about. Well, I mean, uh, Sarukian's pretty amazing, so I, I have no problem. He, uh, he, he had a very good performance, yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, we've actually got Mike from Blockbuster on the line. Mike, if you want to uh, make sure that you're not muted, how are you doing, Mike? Holy shit, you guys picked me first? Well, you've been waiting, Mike. Uh, we I did. Mean, uh, hopefully, we didn't make serve. a bad decision. <laughs> no, that's totally fine. I actually took notes from the page of the John Pollock Notebook of MMA. So, I would like to point out, first of all, in the production-wise, you guys were talking about how kind of awkward it is. And I would like to point out the only thing that ESPN did good in the production was having Ron Perlman narrate these things. It's just like his voice is enough where... He brings seriousness to this thing, but you understand it's fighting and it's just kind of silly because it's dudes punching each other in the face and it's worth it. Mike, can can I say these should get your voice to do the, these things? You sound spectacular. It's the Blue Yeti mic, unfortunately without a screen that I see that Pollock has, but it's the, <laughs> the nice microphone that does it for me. 
<laughs> what else uh, are in your notes? Um, I would like to point out Phil Chair Talk statistics. So he was talking about how draws for Conor McGregor and McGregor's biggest draw was 1.3 million pay-per-view buys with the Conor McGregor and McGregor or the, excuse me, the Conor McGregor and Mayweather fight being 4.3 pay-per-view million buys and the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight being 4.6 million pay-per-view buys. So like the idea that McGregor shouldn't box these dudes for the check is just absurd to me. The idea that he could probably pull 3 million pay-per-view buys just doing a fake boxing match for five rounds with either of these guys, again, whether it's a rematch with Mayweather or it's a Pacquiao fight, it would be good either way and everybody would eat it up. I think you underestimate how important Mayweather is to the equation there. I just don't... I think it's Mayweather versus... Mayweather versus Pacquiao was something that people were anticipating forever. And and then Conor McGregor versus Mayweather was a spectacle... I, I just there's no intrigue around the 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 uh, Manny fight. Again, I'm not saying it's not going to draw something. I'm not going to say people aren't going to pay for it. I, I just don't see it having the competitive intrigue that a Conor McGregor UFC fight is going to have. And so again, I could be wrong. It wouldn't be the first time, but I don't know. I'm having a really tough time seeing it. But but if you're talking competitively, like I I I'm with you. That's uh, like. I am not interested in this fight uh, in any kind of competitive sense, uh, nor was I for the Mayweather fight. And I think that it's still going to be that mm. that curiosity factor that is still going to draw people in and it's going to have an unbelievable amount of promotion behind it. And let's not forget the fact that Connor has fights left on his UFC deal. And ultimately, this would have to be the UFC once again getting on board. And I think they are yes. going to be very aggressive in trying to just keep caught. Like that is very evident in all of Dana's interviews of keeping this guy in the UFC and not, and not putting him out there to do an another fight with uh, a boxer. So it, it, it's a much more complicated path, but Connor has, has looked at the most complicated plans and gone down those roads in the past. So I, I don't throw it out as something he would at least push for. All right. Uh, Mike, do you have anything else that you want to add? I uh, just want to add two what I call 15 out of 10 surprises on this pay-per-view. Uh, Michael Chandler knocking dude out, obviously, is amazing. But I think Juliana Pena getting the submission win is something that's very important in that division. And I think she's just going to continue to climb her way up and look for her to get some good tight, like some good title fights, maybe, or a good main event on a fight night and look for her to continue to choke people out or continue to put arm bars on chicks. Yeah, we'll be getting to that fight. It's, you know, as as we've talked about, like they are very desperate for contenders at 135 pounds. And Juliana Pena is certainly in that mix as they are. And, and had the right interview afterwards to direct everyone's attention to wanting that fight because like she came in ranked seventh, but she's going to, I think she has as much a chance as anybody uh, to get that next fight with Amanda Nunez. So we'll go over that fight afterwards. But yeah, she had a very, very strong performance after losing the first round to Sarah McMahon. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. Uh, thanks for your call. Uh, next up, we have got, let me just unmute. Oops. And we've got uh, Jason Hagholm is here. Jason, how are you? 
Uh, I am doing well. What do you uh, think I'm, of the card tonight? Oh, sorry about that. Just getting used to this. Uh, honestly, this card was like the first couple fights in the pay-per-view or whatever, but for a card built on the co-main and main event, they delivered and then some. Like Dustin Poirier solidifies himself as arguably one of the guys and gets the fight victory that he needed more than anything because I always felt if he didn't get this victory, he'd always just be the bridesmaid, never a bride in uh, in the UFC. But Chandler, I mean, Chandler coming in, wrecking shop, like with a debut that's up there with the Anderson Silva levels of debuts uh, in the UFC, I thought was very impressive. And, and just that division just goes, you know, how deep it is. And, you know, Poirier and uh, uh, Chandler maybe down the line is, is going to be an interesting fight. But I want to get your guys' thoughts on some of these post-fight comments from Dana. He seemed uh, kind of upset at maybe the new plans for the, the new administration that's in with a potential 14-day quarantine, which I guess does kind of mess up their business. But mm-hmm. it did seem like Dana has finally come to the agreement that, Khabib's not coming back. <laughs> oh, because, uh, you know, we've been doing this show, so I, I haven't heard any of it, but that, is, is, that was the sense he was pretty uh, resigned to the fact that Nurmagomedov is not fighting again? Yeah, he, I guess Khabib told him that, Dana, be honest with yourself, I'm more talented than these guys, and uh, there's no point in me really needing to come back and, and fight any of them. So, I mean, it's good, I guess, that they've come to that realization because Connor losing kind of kills any momentum of, Khabib even coming back for a, a huge payday. And yeah, as you guys have been doing the show, Dana said that this is trending to be either the second or third biggest show they've ever done. Well, that's that's an extraordinary number if you're if you're talking about that. I mean, it's you know not one that you would uh, assume was going to hit uh McGregor and Nurmaga Madoff levels, but if it finishes, you know, in top two, top three, that's that's a phenomenal success for for this fight. But you're right, it's if you were someone that was clinging to the idea, and mainly this was Dana to the McGregor Namagamadov rematch, like that pretty much went up in in smoke tonight. Like I, I think tonight really did confirm that there is no need for Namagamadov to come back unless there was something really pressing uh, with, with him to come back. And I don't think that there that that exists. And I think he was pretty. Uh, cl- if you were reading the tea leaves this week, I mean that definitely seemed to be the sense of you know, how that meeting went down from their Maga Madoff side. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I never saw the reason for it. And then them really pushing that clip from looking for a fight, like, see these numbers trending, Khabib, and just Khabib's look like uh, he, he was just not interested in it at all. I don't need to see it. But all in all, yeah, I thought, you know what, the co-main and main delivered through. I mean, for a night where it kind of UFC fell on their face with, especially the issues from ESPN+, Plus. I think all in all, once people were able to get through this card did deliver in, in, the, in the aspects and maybe make you feel better for having to buy it twice. So what do, what do you feel will be the lightweight title fight coming, coming out of this? What is, what is the fight you would like to see for the vacant championship if this is uh, the next step uh, to vacate the title? I think you got to go with, you know, Dustin definitely has to be in the mix. I mean, Chandler as well, but it depends what happens with, like, Gaethje because Gaethje, I mean, he's just on the doorstep does he get a win back, come in there? Because you know, like, a Gaethje-Chandler fight would be also up there as an explosive, amazing fight. But that's kind of where I'm going. Something involving Poirier, because tonight yeah. was Poirier's night, and it has to be him fighting for the title. Like, he, even though he felt this was his title fight, beating Conor McGregor, and that he's, that's what he said afterwards. But 
I, I think it has to be Dustin Poirier. And I couldn't be more happy for Poirier as well. Like, this is a guy that's done everything the right way, finally got gets the win that he needs, and looked great in doing it. Certainly a very easy fighter to uh, to get behind and uh, feel good for as well. And to, and to see, like, the, the remarkable, um, you know, when you look back at the last fight and then going to lightweight and being on this tear, and even after the Nurmagomedov loss, thinking that that would be the high point of this guy's career was getting to the title fight and you know, rebounding, and it looks like he will fight for that championship again next. So it's 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 quite the story for him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, that, that was that's pretty much my thoughts on the show. It did deliver uh, with the co-main in Maine, and, uh, you know, UFC's back at it in two weeks' time as they have that week off next week. Yes. Well, thanks a lot for the call, Jason. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. All righty. Okay, so next up, we have got how do how what am I going to pronounce it? Stepite, Stepite. You you are on the air, Stepite. How are you? I'm uh, well. How are you guys? Did Phil butcher your name? Ah, uh, not at all. That's uh, perfect. Damn, nailed it. <laughs> For once, I got a name right on this show. <laughs> oh no, it was excellent. What were your thoughts on the show tonight? Uh, you know what? Um, I, I, I was just genuinely surprised by the uh, co-main event and the main event. Like, um, I, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't believe. It. Like, I really thought uh, that uh, Connor was going to be able to outstrike him early, and then with um, with Chandler, I like when they faced off i was like this dude is so much shorter than this other dude like it's it, it was baffling and yet uh yeah it it the underdogs came through it just seemed like dan hooker never got started in this fight it seemed like he was put on the back foot immediately by chandler and it was almost like in real time he was adjusting on the fly and michael chandler when he started going to the body it seemed like this was just you know, the prelude to, to what happened. Like, it just seemed like Dan Hooker, whatever his plan was, he couldn't even get it out of the gate. And it was, I, I was with you. I was, I was definitely surprised by that outcome. Like I thought, I thought that fight was a lot harder to predict than the main event, but I mean, I was, I was wrong on both fights. I was leaning hooker and I was definitely thinking that McGregor would win the main event. Yeah. I was even reading that first uh, round of the, uh, Coming event quite wrong because I, I I thought that Hooker was actually like using his length. What like I thought he seemed so patient and that he was going to eventually like catch him with something didn't happen. Um, but what was interesting in the in the second round of the main event, I thought was um, you could see a point where all of a sudden, um, like it felt like in that first round towards the end, Connor was the superior striker. But then Dustin just like turned on this confidence again, like like pointing to him like uh, Diaz like, and uh, and from there I was like, oh, he knows something I don't know as a viewer, you know. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people focused on Michael Chandler's wrestling, but I mean, you know, in many of his fights, like he has displayed that that power as well, and that's like a huge part of his game as well. And I mean, he was able to make this adjustment seamlessly, and I was. 
I was looking at it as well. Like we saw the Benson Henderson fight in August. And then prior to that, he had fought in December of 2019. But you just look at, you know, uh, facing a guy, the level of Dan Hooker, he's 34 now. What was like, this is a speed division as well. Uh, All those factors. I mean, that did not uh, really preclude him at all from being able to be the aggressor in this fight and showcase that power. So there's going to be a lot of interest in his next fight and, it could be it could be as big as fighting for the championship next. He he gave the best audition possible tonight for the UFC lightweight mix. Yeah, I think so. I think he uh, turned it on on the right night, and uh, yeah, that momentum could uh, actually lead him like to getting a you know a bit of a leap over a guy like Oliveira. Yeah. Yeah. At worst, he's getting a top five guy next. Um, at worst, probably a top three guy. So he's he's going to be in re- like a very short path to getting to a title fight unless there's, you know, mitigating factors like he he has positioned himself very well. Most definitely. Yeah. All right. Alrighty. Well, thanks very much for the call. Thank you very much, Steppy Tay. All right. So next we are going to Malaysia, maybe. Oh, wow. Is this Ferris from Malaysia? Are you actually in uh, Malaysia, Ferris? You are on the air. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you, Ferris. Okay. Are you, are uh, you actually I... in Malaysia? Yeah, yeah, I'm from Malaysia. Excellent. Welcome. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I watched this from 8 in the morning here. Up until now, it's like 3 noon, past noon. Um, plus about the fight, um, uh, what form is from, uh, Dustin, Diamond, Poirier, like really solid performance from him. Um, for me, it should have been for the, for the lightweight title in hindsight, really, because, you know, Khabib non, non being non-committed to, you know, to, to, for the another title fight. So I do think that should have been. It should have been promoted as a title fight in advance. I mean, I mean, Khabib can go, can go retired, and then maybe if he's injured, he can actually just come back and go for the title again. What do you guys think? Um, in, in terms of like Khabib, you're you're saying he shouldn't vacate the title? I think he was just saying that this should... fight should have been for the this fight in hindsight oh, okay. should I, be I for that. the title. Yeah, in hindsight should be, should be for the title because. I mean, think about it. It should. I mean, the numbers might might gone a lot more I, than than it is. I I think I I don't disagree that you know I think that's more that was the UFC's call. Like Khabib mm-hmm. said, I'm retired, and the UFC yeah. like look how fast they moved on Henry Cejudo when he announced his retirement. That title was up for grabs immediately. So I think that was the UFC believing, or at least I should say Dana White believing. He's not stripping Khabib of the title as long as there's a glimmer of hope that he can promote that rematch with Conor McGregor. And I think that was the whole calculus behind not stripping him of the title because tonight's fight, it very well could have been a championship fight and would have added that much more stakes to tonight. So I don't disagree, but I don't think you can blame uh, Khabib for that because that's that's a UFC call to strip him of the title. Yeah, I agree. I mean, also another thing is it should it makes the past clear for the next, you know, matchup, like maybe Joe Browns fighting, fighting for the title, or maybe Chandler with Kichi maybe for the next, who is the next in line. I mean, it's just with Khabib now in 
situation right now of you know wanting to go in or not it's kind of you know muddled the vision a bit in my opinion yeah, I, I would agree as th- those are like the four, you know, key lightweights to to watch. And I would say it's it's Dustin Poirier and whoever the challenger is. And I would say the shortlist there is Oliveira and and Chandler. I, I just see Gaethje as probably needing a win before he's like thrust into a, a title scenario. But you uh, of just those names alone, not to mention Conor McGregor and Paul Felder. I mean, you have you have a long list of lightweights that you could make some incredible fights that will take you throughout this year and into next uh, if everyone stays healthy. Yeah. All right. Thank um, you. Very- <laughs> All right. Thank you very thank much you. for the call, Ferris. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, we have one uh, last set of callers. All right. Set a set of callers. I these these two had to be together. Why don't we say hello, Eric, Marcotte, and Brandon from New Jersey? Hi guys. Oh wow. Hi Brandon. You're on, you're on the air, guys. <laughs> Hi John. <laughs> Hi Phil. Hi Eric. Hey hey. Uh, okay, Brandon's disappeared. Talk, Eric, what did you think of the uh, the card tonight? Wow, I, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, I'll admit, uh, as you can see from scrolling through the MMA section of the Discord, I didn't do very well in my predictions, but that often makes well, me... I, I would have done horrible cards. tonight. If I, if I had made predictions, I would have I would have totally whiffed on the Amanda Hebos fight and the top two fights. I definitely would have got those ones wrong. Oh, I will say I think people were sleeping a bit on Marina Rodriguez. Uh, she's looked very solid. I thought she beat Carlos Spars in her last fight, so... Uh, it was a bit reaffirming to see her get the win, but I mean, tonight belongs to Dustin Poirier. Uh, this is one of the biggest cards I can recall in terms of uh, the interest just all over. You can always feel it. You can always feel when the interest is at a high level, and it was for this card. And Dustin Poirier ruled the day, as did Michael Chandler. Two fights I thought were going to go the other way, but uh, career-defining wins for both of them. So what do you see in terms of Conor McGregor's year? Okay, if he is if he is willing to fight, uh, what do you see as the options for him? I think the uh, option that everybody is going to immediately turn to is Nate Diaz. I mean, uh, Nate has expressed interest in fighting, I believe, if my memory is serving me correct recently. That's a logical fight right now. Uh, I, I don't at, think... At lightweight? That, yes, at lightweights, although it wouldn't uh, shock me if it happened at welterweights. I also think, even though I don't even know if this is the most, most likely, likely fight to be made... But Conor McGregor against Dan Hooker would also make a lot of sense. That's a fight stylistically I'd love to see. But with a name like Conor McGregor, there are no shortage of options. Yeah, we haven't brought up the name Nate Diaz, but that one would make a lot of sense to go at this point and do that fight. I could see that being the fight that would... Because I, I just see Connor looking for what is going to be the biggest fight that I can be part of. And I think Nate Diaz would, would qualify as, as one of those fights. More so than a Dan Hoover. Yeah, that's why I think, uh, especially online, you're seeing a lot of the uh, general, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but like the discourse is swaying towards Nate Diaz. And I think that's very logical from the UFC's perspective. Mm-hmm. And Brandon, what about you? What do you have to say? Uh, you guys in a while, how are you? Uh... <laughs> he's he's tired of all these podcasts that he has to listen to so he's, uh, he's he's busy catching up on everything 
Um, any other thoughts, Eric, tonight? Any Anything from the uh, outside of the big two fights? Any big oh, performances? That wait, 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 wait. Hold on, John. Can you not hear Brandon? I can't hear him at all. Oh, oh I can hear Brandon. Yeah, yeah you, you might you might have him on uh, his volume down, but we can okay, hear. Don't Brandon. change anything. This is perfect. I can't. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, well, I'll, I'll have the conversation with Brandon after Eric answers the question about what anything else that stood out. I mean, uh, those three fights—the ones that we already talked about—are the ones that immediately come to mind. Uh, JoJo Calderwood. I think you have to look at this as a uh, huge victory for her career-wise. Uh, to lose this one to Jessica I would be a big, uh, especially after losing that last fight too, where she was a fight away from a title fight. I think she's re- reasserted herself in that title picture. Uh, Jessica I less so, but this was uh, maybe the biggest one of her career. I don't think that's uh, that's saying anything crazy. I don't think that's crazy uh, at all. All right. Well, thanks, Eric, for joining us. Brandon, I'm sorry that uh, John can't hear you. I think he's just in the habit of immediately muting you whenever he joins a new social media platform. Uh, <laughs> did you enjoy uh, Did you enjoy the card? Uh, I, I, I thought it was fun. Uh, the two fights delivered. Uh, I, I, I would love to see uh, Poirier fight uh, uh uh, Oliveira, man, I thought that I think that would be an absolutely entertaining play. I don't, I don't, I guess Oliveira would probably be next for Chandler. Would well, you do that play? I mean, the, the I, I think John and I talked about it earlier. We both agreed that Oliveira versus Poirier is a great fight that we would like to see. And uh, Oliveira certainly deserves it. Um, but uh, we sort of feel like maybe Chandler's more likely to get put into that title fight right away just because of the magnitude of the win, the platform. You know, it, it was such a big moment. Um, you know, it, it, it seems logical in a lot of ways to go Poirier Chandler next, um, even though all, that sounds tragic for Oliveira. I just, yeah, I feel like the, he's getting slept on in the vision. I, I he, He's on such a run right now, uh, the Bronx. Uh, but uh, I guess that's just me. And uh, I like that Evolev guy. Uh, that I guess you haven't talked about him yet on the undercard against Nick Lentz. Uh, yeah, we will get to that. Yeah. Uh, so John, to fill John in, uh, Brandon's praising Movzar Ev- Evlev, uh who we will <laughs> talk about. I mean, I knew we would get to Nick Lentz eventually. It, it, it was inevitable. Um yeah, he looked pretty good, and we will get to that fight in a second. Is there anything else, Brandon, that uh, you want to share about uh, the night? Oh, uh, no, that's it. Uh, enjoyed the coverage, and uh, I'll talk to you guys soon. Sheesh. You better be on 2K tonight, Brandon. <laughs> All right, yeah, them's fighting words. By uh, Get them sticks up, guys. Get them sticks up. Okay, all right. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, everybody who called in. On with the show. Well, uh, let's quickly just go through the prelim card here. We won't uh, spend too much time on this. Uh, Arman uh, Sarukian defeated Matt Frivola by unanimous decision. Uh, Sarukian, he had missed weight, so he was docked 20% of his purse. And this was the fight where uh, Matt Frivola was supposed to take on Otman Azatar, who was fired by the UFC on Friday after it was discovered that uh, him and his team had given up their wristbands and allowed people outside of the safe zone to go into the safe zone in Abu Dhabi. And it led to uh, these two fights being uh, 
juggled because uh, Sarukian's uh, original opponent, uh, Nazrat Hasbrast, he uh, fell ill and could not weigh in. But with these both being lightweight fights, uh, they paired the two ends together. So these guys got this fight on 24 hours notice. Uh, Sarukian, I thought, looked really good in this fight. I had him winning all three rounds. Um, he, you know, but this was a fun fight. Like Frivola was scrambling throughout this. Uh, Sarukian was threatening with various submissions in the second he tried for a darts, an arm triangle, ended up getting 10 of 12 takedowns uh, in this fight. And uh, I thought a very good performance from him and that much more impressive given the fact that this was an opponent that he, these two were paired together on a day's notice. Yeah, I'm very high in Sarukian. Obviously missing weight is not good, but he's very young and he's made weight in the past. So curious to understand what happened here. Uh, Yeah, I'm really high in Sarukian. His only loss in the UFC was to Islam Makachev. I believe that was a short notice fight. It was a super competitive fight. Uh, I've got a feeling a couple of years we're going to see a rematch between those two guys when they're both in the top five. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Sarukian, really good. Frivola, you know, he put up a game fight, but by the end of it, uh, just Sarukian just was too much for him. Uh, feel bad for Frivola not getting the type of fight he, uh, you know, prepared for. Um, but, uh, you know, hats off to Sarukian. He's one to watch. Yeah, and he's only 24 years old. Definitely a, a lightweight to keep your eyes on. Brad Tavares defeated Antonio Carlos Jr. by unanimous decision. The scores were 30-27 twice and 29-28. I had Tavares winning two and three, and I gave Carlos Jr. the first. It was a fairly close round, but um, what was very impressive in this fight was the takedown defense of Brad Tavares, who was coming off a torn ACL, uh, and you don't, you don't get awarded points for takedown defense, uh, but nonetheless... I thought this was a sizable part of Carlos Jr.'s game plan, and Tavares stopped him in in very impressive fashion. He stopped 10 of 11 takedown attempts in this fight, and then contesting this on the feet, uh, was able to utilize his right hand significantly and uh, earn the decision. Yeah, you summarized it perfectly. Uh, Carlos Jr. was going after the uh, takedown aggressively, throughout much of this fight in the first round in particular uh all Tavares could do was defend and so he was doing that impressively but as you already said you don't get points for that so that's why I also gave Carlos the round but after that he started to piece him up he he really took control in the striking and uh yeah got a very strong win uh, Juliana Pena, as we talked about earlier, she defeated Sarah McMahon with a rear naked choke, 339 of the third round. Uh, McMahon won the first round. Uh, the second was very close. I leaned towards Pena mainly because of the striking output she landed at the end of the round. And then in the third, uh, she didn't leave it up to the judges because she slammed McMahon to the ground, got side control, hit her with hammer fists, and then was able to get the back, sunk in her hooks, and then got a rear naked choke on Sarah McMahon, who tapped out at 339. Uh, as we mentioned, for Pena, this she cut a promo on Amanda Nunez after for ducking her, and I think puts herself in a great position because they are in dire search, uh, a dire search for contenders at 135. So I think Juliana Pena uh, did herself a service here by calling out Amanda Nunez. And you have to wonder, Phil, with Sarah McMahon, she is now 40 years old. She has a 500 record in the UFC. She had her title fight so early in her UFC career that you have to wonder, like, what is the longevity for Sarah McMahon as a active fighter? Yeah, I mean, it's 
kind of tough to say because she is still improving in, in, in some regards. And, and they made note of that during the broadcast. Like it, it's not all bad news for her. Um, but, but in this fight, you know, it, 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 she was doing well early and it slowly progressed worse and worse. And, you know, like you said, being at age 40, even though it's a pretty thin division, the amount of wins that she needs to get back in the thick of things, uh, it is difficult to imagine what she's uh, going to, you can't really see her ever contending again. And then the televised prelims opened up with uh, Marcin Pracnio defeating Khalil Roundtree Jr. Uh, I had Pracnio winning rounds one and three, Roundtree winning the second. I guess there were some that were debating if Roundtree won this fight. Um, how did you score the fight? Uh, I did score this one for Roundtree. Uh, I gave him the first and the second, but they were they were close. Like it, it, it was were. all close. Yeah. So so uh, I didn't have a problem with the decision. And the early prelims, Movsar Evlolev defeated Nick Lentz by split decision, and Amir Albazi defeated Zalgis Zumagulov by unanimous decision. I did not see the early prelims, but um, you can go back to Fight Pass if you want to uh, catch up on uh, these these particular fights. Nothing to add, Z- Phil. I mean, I practiced saying Zumagulov several times. So I'm going to say it, Zumagulov. Well, looking ahead, uh, the UFC is off next weekend. They come back February the 6th, the night before the Super Bowl. Uh, That's got Alistair Overeem against Alexander Volkov. And then I guess you and I, Phil, are going to be back in three weeks because we've got another pay-per-view coming up. And it's kind of a sneaky good pay-per-view card. They outline the main card tonight. Uh, This is the Kamaru Usman-Gilbert Burns fight. This will be... Uh, third time's the charm to put this fight together after it fell apart twice last year. Uh, but the main card also has Chris Weidman versus Uriah Hall. Macy Barber is back after a setback in 2020 against Alexa Grasso. Kelvin Gastelum against Ian Heinish. And Jimmy Rivera against Pedro Munoz is your uh, five-fight main card, which I think is like a pretty pretty good pay-per-view card. Yeah, this isn't going to be like the level of interest that we're coming off of tonight, but this is not a bad card at all. No, it's not a bad card at all. Um, definitely uh, solid five fights, very significant in all their divisions. Interesting to see what type of... I mean, this is essentially how big of a draw is Usman, right? Usman's coming off of a massive fight with Jorge Masvidal. Uh, you know, people have critiqued his style in the past. And uh, so we'll we'll see how much uh, of the viewership from that previous fight is going to translate into this one. And then uh, so, some notes that they've uh, recently mentioned. They, of course, the next I would say big pay per view is UFC 259, which has three title fights on it. We've got Jan Blahovich versus Israel Adesanya for the light heavyweight championship. Amanda Nunez will defend her t- her featherweight championship against Megan Anderson, and then uh, Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling for the bantamweight title. And they announced officially. Uh, this was reported by ESPN, but made official on the broadcast that it will be Stipe Miocic, Francis Ngannou on March the 27th, the same night they're doing the Brian Ortega fight where he will be challenging. Oh, God, why am I blanking on this? Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky for the featherweight title. And they also announced, I believe, Tyrone Woodley versus Vincente Luque for on that card as well. Yeah, so you, you got like quite a lot of big fights this first quarter yeah. of, of the year. 
Yeah, it's the, the really these there's, there's some big fights uh, coming our way in the uh, in the coming months. So there you go. If you're what what a time to increase the pay per view price in the U.S. with all these fights coming up. Supply and demand. Uh, Market and forces. the last thing. For- Performance of the night bonuses tonight were Dustin Poirier, Mahmoud Muradov, Marina Rodriguez, and or Rodriguez and Michael Chandler. Four performance of the night bonuses handed out. And well, the it... fifth one goes to you, Phil, just for manning the oh. ship tonight. You get you get the post performance of the night bonus. We're not sending you fifty grand, but we're all going to send you uh, fifty thousand thank yous after. Well, tonight. all you you know uh, you don't even need to send me that. But what you could send me is you could send me an animated GIF in the post-wrestling discord. If you have not joined the post-wrestling discord, why don't you do that? We have a great time. We don't just talk about MMA. We don't just talk about pro wrestling. We talk about movies, music, comics. We share pictures of our delicious lunch. Don't you want to know what Brandon has for breakfast? It's incredible. So come join us in the post-wrestling discord. Occasionally we get some, uh, you know, stop-ins from waiting i'm hoping john's gonna make a few more appearances in the post wrestling discord you never know you never know when i'm gonna gonna show up I'm like the the mysterious uh person in the back in the background it was very hard i i wanted to try and be in there more uh tonight it was it's just it's very difficult doing the uh the website stuff with the notes and everything but uh it's okay. It doesn't even. It doesn't have to be during an event. It could just be, you know, instead of you know before bedtime. I know you're reading lots of books, but instead of doom scrolling Twitter, you know, come come join your your fellow. I'll, I'll doom scroll here. Yeah, I'll doom scroll <laughs> Brandon from New Jersey's day and see what's what's going on there. <laughs> All right. Well, at that note, at uh, 2.14 a.m., we are going to sign off. I want to thank uh, all the calls tonight. That was great to hear from so many people. And for all of you uh, downloading the show, checking this out, however you do so, we are here live after every UFC pay-per-view. Subscribe at youtube.com slash postwrestling. And for the love of God, go join the post-wrestling Discord with this man, the Lord of the Cord, Phil Chairtalk. You can go to postwrestling.com, click on Discord. You'll never leave. (laughs) <laughs> that's a lot of sales pitch <laughs> on that note goodbye everybody we'll chat in three weeks after Kamaro Usman Gilbert Burns everyone a round of applause for Phil Chair Talk that is it thank you for listening to the UFC 257 post show